having a mentor is really important, but you also need to find a sponsor. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse Show. I am your host, Megan Young Gamble, Global Project Manager and CEO at GLC. And guys, I am so, so, so excited to have my industry powerhouse, who I made my virtual mentor when I transitioned into the space, which is Camille Corchism. She is a certified packaging professional fellow. Okay, because she has earned those credentials, who has over 35 years of diverse experience in leadership, packaging, engineering, management, design, business development. If you ever wanted to know any sector of the business, this is the person you need to know. She is also the instructor and DE&I program manager at Michigan State University. And she is also the proud owner of Indigo Packaging and Consulting. And so I'm so excited to have our industry powerhouse today, Camille. So welcome to the show. Hey, Megan. Thank you for having me. I'm listening and I'm thinking, wow, that person's really busy. How do they find time for all that? <laughs> and if you guys did not know, I officially launched this podcast on my birthday, August 14th. So always save it to your calendar. Um, so that's why we're saying happy birthday month and happy birthday month to you. We share the same birthday month. Yes. <laughs> birthdays. Can't get yes, exactly. It's a great month. So shout out to all the August birthdays. So guys, let me just share why I'm so excited about this interview, because when the world shut down during COVID and I was actively like we all were looking to get engaged with people, especially virtual where you couldn't meet people face to face. I came across the podcast, People of Packaging Podcast with the host Adam Peake. Shout out to Adam. And the first interview that I listened to was actually with Camille. I was like, oh my gosh, it's a black woman in packaging. Her story is phenomenal and inspiring. I literally slid through her DMs on LinkedIn and I was like, I really enjoyed your conversation and the podcast. Can I con just connect with you? Because you're a black woman. I'm a black woman. You have a lot of experience. I am a growing professional in this space. And our first conversation, remember Camille, probably was like an hour and a half, just yes. an organic conversation. And so I just have to say, you know, shout out to everybody that's in the packaging industry because it's so vast, but yet it's so small. And so um, from that first conversation, I was like, Camille is my mentor. I just made you my virtual mentor. And we've been in conversations thereafter. And guys, like, you don't understand how much this means to me to have her as our powerhouse for today. So I could talk about that all day. But anyways, the show is about you and to highlight your experience and to share your expertise. So to get us started, share a little bit about who you are and how you got into the packaging industry. Okay. Um, and first, you're so easy to mentor because you are just open, happy, and excited, and you just have such a passion for packaging. So it makes it very easy. How did I get started in packaging? So I've always been interested in art, and I used to draw and paint and all those sorts of things. And I was thinking art school, but my father is an engineer. 
And I guess he heard me say it or he just knew me. And he said, who's paying for art school? So I'm like, yeah, I go to a regular university and I'll take math and physics and calculus and just kind of see what happens. But when I got up there, I was I went up to Michigan State. I was in complete exploratory mode. So I'm taking all these technical classes. So I was taking all the STEM classes, but I was STEAM before I even knew what STEAM was. So I was taking art and theater and psychology, really just exploring. And I took this packaging class and this class was so interesting to me. And it was time for me to declare a major. So I go to the, to the um, counselor and I go and I talk to him and I say, you know, tell me more about packaging. And he said, these are the classes you need. And I was literally in the program without knowing it. So that's like organic, like it was meant to be. Then I did an internship and I loved it. It was so much fun. And then when I came back, it was so much easier to apply what I was learning to the real world because I had that hands-on experience. And yes, you know, one of the things Michigan State is known for, for their internship program. After that, it was, it was like no looking back. And then as I got into the industry, I just started getting a lot of broad experience because to me, packaging is the question. How do you package this product? No matter what the product is, how do you package it? What is needed? How is it used? Who's using it? What's the end use going to be? You know, what products are going into it? Just all that. I just, I, I love to learn how things work. And with packaging, if you're a nosy person, packaging is definitely the field for you. Oh, I love that. And maybe that's why I'm in this industry because I am a little nosy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you, you know, to that point, you know, I personally wish that I had an understanding about packaging when I was getting my undergrad chemistry because at the school I was at, which is Kennesaw State University, you know, it was taught about going to pharmacy school, becoming a doctor, physician, all of those things, which is great. You can go into sales, you know, so you had the different areas of the business, but nobody at all talked about packaging as a whole industry and how we took polymer chemistry that's applicable to packaging. So to that point, Michigan State is like the one of the top-notch schools and one of the top-ranked packaging schools in the nation. But I think we do need to have other schools that may not have, shout out to the Spartans. Um, but I think we should have more universities really start to adopt and learn more about the packaging industry. And to the point that you mentioned, like how do we package products? Because as everyday consumers, we're always buying products from food to latest iPhones, apparel, to even the glasses. All of that has to be packaged somehow, some way. Yeah. And to me, there are multiple facets of packaging because you've got the packaging has some kind of use to it, you know, while you're pouring or you're dispensing, for example, or it protects the product. So is it going to spoil? Is it going to break? And then, you know, you have this aspect of, you know, communicating. What is this product? So you have products that are recognized by the type of packaging that they're in. I know you see that a lot with cosmetic packaging, but then you have a, aspects of like manufacturing. When you're manufacturing that product and putting it into the packaging, how does it interact with the package? And then you, you have another facet where it has to do with the transportation of it. And I think that's what people think about the most, especially with after the pandemic, you know, everyone mm -hmm. thinks about you know, I get this in this big box and I open it and it's this little tiny something or other in the box. But that product is usually packaged still. It comes in the consumer pack that would have been on the shelf. And then it gets put into whatever pack is available for shipping. You know, there are just so many aspects where there's, you know, protection or communication or anything. I mean, there's just, it, 
it's just it's endless materials like you mentioned the chemistry aspect of it i'm going to bring up michigan state a little bit we just started a three plus two program with an hbcu so we're getting chemistry majors that come from nccu in north carolina they will get their undergraduate degree they spend three years at NCCU, then they come to Michigan State for the fourth and fifth year. Mm-hmm. And they will get their undergraduate degree from NCCU in chemistry. And at the end of their fifth year, they will have a master's in packaging from Michigan State. Got a couple students starting off. So, it, I mean, it's so exciting to see this. So, you know, when we went to talk to the students, all, mostly chemistry students, and they were like, well, how does packaging interface with chemistry? And then we just exactly what you said, all the polymer science and how the different materials interact. And, you know, everyone says plastic, we, you know, plastic and packaging, it's not, but there are so many things that there's probably not uh, any other type of packaging for it. And, you know, so then there's that education. And I think, you know, having chemistry majors, they can understand what alternatives there might be if someone is saying anything other than plastic, what else can we do? You know, they're going to understand, you know, structures of glass or paper, you know, those Mm -hmm. types of things too with chemistry. You know, it's not just plastic polymers. It's never ending. I mean, I'm sure that you've experienced it. You know, sometimes we joke in packaging that, you know, our family members don't like to go to the grocery store with us. Because yeah. the aisles, right? And look yep. at the packaging, we're fascinated. And they're just like, I just want to get some bread. All the ways this bread is packaged. It's like, exactly. They'd be like, You're such a nerd. My husband's like, um, We're supposed to be in and out in like 15 minutes. And you're sitting here looking at every single product and like, Oh, this color is off from the labels to, Oh, this is mm-hmm. packaged like this to, Oh, but you trying to sit here and make a whole dissertation about packaging and how things look and how they're packaged. Yeah. Well, I know men in packaging that have commented that their families don't like to go to the grocery store. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's some packaging is definitely it's a packaging you know, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure with you, with the cosmetics, you probably are always solo going into Walgreens or any of those stores that sell, they have a whole cosmetic section, right? Or when you get, you go into the store and you get to the towards a cosmetic section and you're talking and you look back, where'd everyone go? Mm-hmm. Like, Oof, disappears in there, like yeah. in the sporting goods section or whatever, right? Yep. I can go into a store and be in there for at least half a day. Just looking at the different brands, seeing what's similar, seeing what's different, seeing what messaging they're putting on their packaging and the aesthetics of it to sustainable packaging and their materials. I think it is, you're right. It's people who work in the packaging space that are really adamant about, okay, what is the packaging? What does it look like? How does it look? Thinking about the functionality of the packaging, be like, hmm, maybe that's my entry point to target this audience or this company. You know, so yeah, I think it's something that we all look at now. It's a different perspective. But if you're outside of the industry, you're like, I'm just trying to get my Apple, my new iPhone. I'm just trying to get these new pair of earrings or this new cosmetic product. I don't care if an influencer is not talking about the packaging and the aesthetics of it. I don't really care. We just trying to get it and get out. So I think that's a valid point. Yes. And, you know, and our job is to be invisible, right? Because mm-hmm. the packaging needs to do all these things, but you're not supposed to notice it. It's supposed to draw people to the product, but you're not supposed to notice the packaging. And mm-hmm. many times people notice it, it's because there's damage or it didn't work right, or colors are off. It just looks funny. Or they changed the packaging because they changed the formula and mm-hmm. they you know, just wanted a new look for whatever they're doing. So that's when people notice packaging, usually when the little red flag goes off. So, you know, our job is to 
keep people from being red flagged, but then still appreciate the packaging subconsciously. Absolutely. And as one of the main functions of packaging, you talked about transportation. And I want to kind of shift gears to talk about your experience in automotive, which is the transportation industry. So share with us how you got into automotive packaging. Well, I'm from, you know, I'm in Detroit or by growing up. And um I lived in all these different cities, you know, going work for different companies. And I decided that I wanted to come back to Detroit. So, you know, one of the most expedient ways to get back to Detroit was automotive. And I was looking and I found this packaging opportunity and it was a greenfield plant. It was a joint venture. They had a very strong lean program where for the first month, when you went in there, you spent the first month learning about lean. You didn't go to work. You didn't do your job. You had to go mm-hmm. through lean. Um, it was an engine plant. And mm-hmm. we actually, you know, we they broke us up into groups. So one of our lean training sessions was tearing down an engine and building it back. I can say I'm a mechanic, right? But, <laughs> so it, was, it was really interesting because that's when I got introduced to lean manufacturing you know I'd heard about some of the aspects of it over the years but it was you know touted as something else related to quality and you know those sorts of things but to actually be in a plant that was fully dedicated to lean it was so interesting and I got to learn so much about automotive about line side packaging about returnable packaging um I'll give you an example so this would be an example of a returnable pallet and then this is an expendable pallet or you know pallet that you have maybe one use you may you reuse it but for the most part this is considered to be you know one and done so those are standard sizes um it's very modular you really are looking at you know getting the parts to fit in these specific packs and also this type of packaging, it's considered a capital expense. So this one, for example, this one actually collapses. I'm so excited I found this one. But this would be an example of a bin. When these bins are purchased, they are purchased as capital equipment, just like you'd buy a piece of a production line. So in doing that, because they're reused and they keep them, there's a whole process for capital expenditure, extra paperwork. Um, there, you know, you even have to figure out how many you need. I talked about this on Corey Connors' podcast about the sustainability of automotive packaging and the returnables. Mm-hmm. But there are actually theft rings out there that will steal these containers, resell the containers. So it's really important to keep track of them. And automotive is so fast paced that mm-hmm. it's, sometimes it's hard to keep up. You know, some people just buy what they need and they don't think about it. I'm going to also go back a little bit about automotive because, you know, growing up in Detroit, one of the things my father used to do was take us on Saturday mornings to tour automotive plants. Mm. So we we were a family of nerds. So just, you know, <laughs> but we had a computer before we had a color TV. Wow. But, you know, it's just how we were. But, you know, I really enjoyed going to the plants and seeing how things were put together, how things worked, the technology. But with that being said, one of the important things about packaging and automotive is that the parts come right to the line and they pull those parts out of that packaging and they put that part onto the vehicle so it has to meet ergonomic standpoints so um, standards I should say it can't weigh more than a certain amount because you've got someone lifting this tote or package you know multiple times you know many times a day depending on the volume so it has to be ergonomically sound it has to we have to you have to minimize the amount of handling besides protecting the part but just by minimizing the amount of handling 
it's less strain on the workers. There are all these things that go into it, you know, that that whole being nosy again. You get to learn how the product gets installed on the vehicle, you know, every station along the way. You know, sometimes you even get to get in there and get dirty when you're on the line. But it was just very interesting because that whole returnable aspect and the modularity of it and the sustainability of it, completely different than other areas of packaging. Even when you look at um, like returnables for beverage packaging, they're returning crates. Even when you think about, say, bottles, beverage cans or bottles that are recycled, they're not going back in. They're not in a closed loop. When they get reused or recycled, they're going to another facility or another, you know, portion of the process. But with automotive, it stays in that loop. You know, this type of container will get used. It can get used. So when they buy it, they might assume it's a five to seven year life on this bin. And of course, it's 10 times larger than this right here. But they mm -hmm. assume that this will get used, say, five to seven years minimum. And many times it, after that vehicle is done and there's a new vehicle, those bins are sturdy enough where they can actually take them and repurpose them for another program. Many times last, well, much longer than, you know, five to seven years. So I just love that. The fact that it's sustainable, you're reusing, you're not throwing away extra packaging. And it's very intentional because you have to plan ahead of, you know, what type of packaging you're going to use if you're going to use returnables. Mm. Oh, we guys, did y'all hear that? That's a whole class right there. <laughs> yeah. To that point, like it's something that's not commonly talked about, you know, unless you're around those who are in the packaging industry, but like just like getting bolts, you know, to put onto the tires of the car on the actual product, mm -hmm. like all of that's coming in these returnable bins and then getting applied to the cars as they're going down the assembly line. And that's the later stage. You know, we're not even talking about like the frames and the bolts that go on the frames and things of that sort. So it's just amazing how packaging is universal in any industry, but respectfully for automotive, you know, really thinking about sustainable model of it. And so I want to ask you, you know, just from when you used to go to the plants with your family into the plant, see the production line versus now, how has it evolved to become more sustainable? Okay. So first I'm going to say, I look at the plant differently for sure. And I realized this because last summer I taught an automotive packaging course at Michigan State University and it was online. So, you know, I'm going through and I had a video to go through and the videos of like the Ford Rouge plant. So I had a history of the Ford Rouge plant and what it used to look like, you know, very, you know, a lot more manual labor, that sort of thing. But I had a more recent video and they were going through and it was actually showing the production line. And I actually stopped and would interject in between like, yeah, they're putting this part on, but look behind and look at these carts and look at the packaging. So it was completely, mm -hmm. you know, now I see it in terms of the packaging and where is the packaging and how is it flowing and how are they handling things? And are there too many parts in that pack? And are they struggling with that pack? Are they, you know, setting things aside? Mm -hmm you know, is, and with the lean process, everything has its place. You know, when you look mm -hmm. at 5S and it's very, it stands out when you have visual management. So people don't have to think about, should this be here or not? I worked for a company and we went to tour an automotive plant and this plant was very lean. You know, they had a lot of visual management, very organized plant. As we're walking through, I think some of the other people hadn't, you know, barely done anything with lean. So, mm -hmm. We're walking through and I see this bin right in the middle of the aisle and it mm -hmm. didn't match any other bins. It looked like the bins you go when you're in the dorm and you're moving into a dormitory, those cloth bins, big bins. Yep. And it was just right in the middle of the aisle in the way. 
of the pathway. As we were walking, I said to the supervisor that was giving us the tour, I don't, is that supposed to be there? Because, you know, they didn't have the tape lines. It was just in the middle of skew. And he said, yeah, hold on. He gets on his radio and he calls someone immediately to move it, which is the way it should be in lean, right? You see something, you say something. Um, everyone is empowered to act on it. And some of the other people are like, how did you know that didn't belong there? Mm. Like, it was, it was, if you're in a lean facility, it stands out. It jumps out because it's not marked. It's crooked. It doesn't match anything else. It just literally stands out like a sore thumb. I do look at things differently now from an automotive standpoint, because instead of just looking at how the car is made, look at that car. It's so interesting. You're looking at the process that what it takes to actually build that vehicle and what parts are coming into it, to that vehicle and how those parts, how are they arranged and set up and, you know, what do, what do they look like? So yeah, definitely different. Absolutely. And just like thinking about the evolution of the automotive industry too, to now inside of the production facilities and plants, you know, incorporating more lean manufacturing and such. I think that's such a huge point that, you know, you want to look at how is it economically designed? How is it very lean? If you see something, say something. And how we can make sure we're keeping everything in a circular economy, I think is really big as part of the sustainable model as well. So I want to go back to a point that you mentioned where like with the returnable bin, the actual model you had, you said that there's some theft rings going on. So what can plants do to help reduce the theft rings that are going on right now with these returnable bins? One of the things I think that's really important is starting to knowing how many you have to start with or how many you need. Because a lot of times people just say, I need more, I need more, or they they order more than they really need. So they'll do this whole capital justification and they figure out that they maybe only need say 500, but they'll fudge it and say they need 750 or a thousand or 2000 or 3000 mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. And then when you have that many run rate and you're running, you might use all those containers. They're full, they're being used, they're moving. But then let's say you get you know the lull during the holiday period or the summer, now those containers are going to be sitting around. People will, they might snatch them up, you, you know, and sometimes they'll just do it during the course of production. They'll say we're running out. I've also seen times where, and this would open things to theft, but one time I had a, a company that, a supplier, and they would say that they received a say a thousand of these returnable containers in the system. And then immediately and a minute later, you see a manual transaction to say a negative a thousand with no reason or anything. And then they could ship in the expendable package. But I found out that when they ship, they're only shipping five parts per box and they were charging a dollar per part extra when they shipped expendable packaging because it's the automotive companies will say that's an added expense that we weren't planning on and we'll pay for that. Mm. So this company was, you know, paying basically five, making a $5 profit per box every single time they, you know, they were shipping and I'm like, well, these they're coming in, but they're not sending them out. So someone I know went to that plant and I said, I texted them and I said, when you get down there, let me know. You know, when you get in the plant, let me know if you see any of these containers. And they immediately texted me, yeah, I got, just got here and I'm standing next to a whole stack of them. And they're packing in on the floor and they're packing into the expendable pack. And I said, can you ask them what's going on? And they said, oh, well, we already bought these. So we're just going to use these up. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's one way of theft. But other ways, I've actually seen containers that just don't show up. And then I have one, one time where I was at one place I left somewhere else and 
people were saying, oh, we got these containers really cheap. They're used. I'm like, I wouldn't really recommend that. And I go look at them. And sure enough, they were literally, and I won't go into detail on how I knew, but it was literally, these were containers that I actually went to another country to look for, like down to the exact container. I know, I knew for, I, I guarantee you, I know for a fact that these, this was actually a container that I was sent to another country to go look for. And it couldn't find it, nowhere to be found, no shipping information, just kind of weird, but... A couple mm-hmm. of years later, I'm somewhere else and poof, they just show up magically, you know. Yeah. So that would be an example of a theft ring. Wow. And yeah. I wouldn't even think that it would be a theft ring like that just with returnable bins, to be honest, because everything for every one unit is accounted for as part of your inventory, you know, to make sure that you're tracking and knowing where it is and stuff like that. Or I didn't know if some of these returnable bins would have trackers or some type of barcode where they could be scanned to know, okay, this bin bin number, blah, 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 has been received with these number of parts. So five parts per bin. So it's just amazing, like how this can happen. Like, I didn't even think that would be a thing, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, if someone's determined to do something, they will find a way around it. They'll find a workaround, you know, and that's That's what people are doing because there are technologies that, you know, you can follow what's going on. In fact, that's how I knew for a fact that those were the containers that I went to another country to look for because of the technology that was available. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, there are definitely workarounds to it. And, you know, partly it's if, if they don't have tracking, um, if they get really busy, maybe sometimes a fork driver, for example, just doesn't know. They've got two bins. They look almost identical, but they just have mm-hmm. a little small sign that says property of blank. And the other one says property of whoever. And they pick them up, stack them together because they look to them on a fork truck. They look the same. They pick them up and they move them into, you know, whoever needs them the most. They're like, well, mm-hmm. this company needs 20 containers and we have 20 right here. They're all the same color. They look exactly the same to me. So they send them. And, you know, that's kind of how it they start disseminating. Um, but like I said, one of the things is foundationally, if people don't even know how many they started with, and I've seen mm-hmm. that depending on the company and how they do it, if they don't even wow. know what they started with, then it can be an issue. I guess I'm curious because now I'm like, if you don't know the quantity that you purchase, that will be on your purchase order, right? Of how many that you purchase, or is it a different process with acquiring them? It should be, and most of the time it is <laughs> a purchase order. But again, if people are determined, then there's there can be a workaround. Sure. Um, sure. You know, some companies do everything on spreadsheets. You know, the larger companies obviously they don't. But you know, I say you probably see if you see companies have technology and they're still seeing this. You know, things like theft or containers disappearing or losing track of the mm-hmm. container, losing containers, then that tells you that someone's figured out a workaround mm. and you're right like if somebody's that adamant enough they're gonna do it mm-hmm. if their mind is set on it which is so unfortunate because it impacts bottom line that impacts your inventory for being able to ship goods in and out it could become a whole mess to then go into expendable packaging and paying the additional costs on top of that for having me parts and in, you know inside of the bins it's crazy so mm-hmm. then it's like looking at P&L statement like where's our money going I thought we had this many so now yeah. everybody's getting questioned so yeah, that could be a huge impact. 
Yes. I've seen the gamut of, you know, people that are very organized, keep track of everything. And I've seen places where, you know, maybe they farm out that whole process. And depending on how it's done, you know, you have to be very careful on the contract. I've come in, I came into one company where they already had a contract with someone where they were farming out and they just weren't doing, I didn't think they were doing a really good job of keeping track of the containers. And I really didn't understand how they were charging. Um, and the more I pushed about it, you know, the more vague they became. And I insist that they come out with a scanner and scan and they walked on the holding the scanner to the floor and I'm like you, you that's not gonna happen you know you've got to actually yeah. scan things you can't just say you brought the scanner and turn it on and found nothing yeah. so you know another workaround but I think the more organized people are from the beginning and you could have a process but that process has to be followed mm-hmm. you know and I think that's usually what we see if the process isn't followed for whatever reason then you lose track of packaging in those scenarios Oh, that's just amazing. Guys, do y'all hear Camille giving a whole automotive packaging class on the good and the bad side of it, just in reference to returnable bins? Like, I'm just amazed because I learn something new every day. I stay a student. Um, That's why I have the podcast for me to stay abreast about the different areas of packaging too. So guys, y'all have to make sure you follow Camille. Her All of her information will be in the show notes for you all to connect with her. So now, since we're kind of talking about, you know, sustainability and things that you're working on, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about True Fleet. So tell us a little bit about True Fleet, the software platform you have. Yeah, so I'm really excited because I have been working with a tech incubator here in town called Tech Town, and they've been awesome and very supportive. And I've had this dream about this software that mm-hmm. kind of resolves some of the things that we're talking about, having that beginning foundation. So basically, it helps people to determine like how much packaging they need. Um, they can keep track of what they have, you know, so they can say, they can calculate. So they can actually look at the returnable versus the expendable and say, I need a pack that's this size. And say, so I need a pack that's this size. Mm-hmm. And I want to see, you know, does it make sense to have this for five years or seven years? Or does it make more sense to use an expendable brown box to ship in? Mm -hmm. And they can actually compare those immediately on the fly, look at different scenarios from like, you know, say one year up to however many years they want to look at for the life of a vehicle to see, you know, if I did expendable, how much of my spending, where, where's my break-even point? between the two from a financial standpoint. When does it make sense to switch over to returnable from expendable? Um, Because, you know, in the long run, most of the time expendable wins. However, it's not very easy. You know, you're taking spreadsheets, you're calculating, putting things together, and then you go to put in the capital expense, your request, Mm -hmm. and then it has to go up the chain. And then, you know, someone along the chain says, well, what if we do this? And now you're like, I'm going to write this whole thing over again. But this actually Mm -hmm. would allow people to on the fly look at it just someone says well let's try four years versus seven let's try three years what if we do four years you know they can actually do that immediately real time and see that side-by-side comparison and then it it also allows them to save all that information so it's that initial information you know what they should buy and they can keep track of it and i see this can feed into other systems this information mm-hmm. can feed into other systems. So it can be, you know, used by the, this data for packaging can be used by the manufacturing teams because they need to know what packages are coming my way. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be used by the finance team. It can be used by the program management teams because at the beginning of the programs for vehicles, when they come up with the concept for a new vehicle, they immediately start looking at what are all the costs? Is this financially mm-hmm. viable? 
And one of the things that comes up early, early on during that concept phase is how much do we need to spend on packaging? And a lot of times people just give them a very quick swag. Mm -hmm. And if you're, say, getting a small part, many, many parts in a large bin, then it's going to spread the cost of that packaging out and it's mm-hmm. going to be less per per pack. But what I found is many times, you know, the program team or the finance team, they'll just say, this is the cost estimate of the part. And we're just going to make a percentage of the cost of the packaging. And if you're shipping, you know, a few large expensive parts in a pack, mm-hmm. you might and you're taking 5% of the cost, um, let's just say you're going to put a part that's like $100, you know, five parts that are $100 in a pack like this. Well, you spread that out and you say 5% and you're now you're like, okay, well, you're at a pretty significant cost. But if you use the same pack and you're putting like 100 parts and you spread that out and that part only costs a penny and use 5%, mm-hmm. you might be actually underbidding mm-hmm. this particular program. But if you have a really expensive part and you use 5%, now you could actually be overbidding. You might lose that business when in reality, you know, if you know what your standards for packaging are, or you can do mm-hmm. a quick swag, you can figure out and get a much more precise estimate early on. It just takes a few minutes. It's not wow. a large, huge exercise in packaging engineers, finance teams, um, all the product engineers, yeah, the advanced manufacturing people that work on, you know, what is the line going to look like? You know, they, they can actually start getting this information really early on and getting much more accurate estimates. Mm, I think that's phenomenal. And congratulations on being part of the tech incubator to launch this program. I remember in our first conversations, you were saying, I want to launch a software you know, with, and I didn't know all the particulars with it, but now to hear it and see it come to fruition, like just congratulations, like that's just phenomenal. And what I really heard, you know, in reference of truthfully, like with some of the big benefits is how you're able to save time because you're able to input your information and get information to help with driving decision-making instantly is giving you opportunity to save money, you know, based upon number of parts, how to amortize it across the different units, et cetera. And then because it's giving you all the analysis. So I love that. And I really hope that this type of program can really be extended to cosmetics. We need this. I'm sure other industries need this, you know, respectfully for packaging, because this can help with driving quicker decision-making for all the key stakeholders, executive stakeholders, as well as the other stakeholders that are involved. So like from manufacturing, your engineers, advanced technicians, et cetera, everybody can be in alignment and know how we can actually help save time and save money at the end of the day. So I love that. If somebody was interested to get on with True Fleet, like what would they do? How do they even get started? Well, they can reach out to me directly okay. because I mean, like I said, I'm working with a developer right now and next week we're doing, a, we're having a demo day. So all the people that are in this tech, in this particular cohort, we're actually doing demos next week. Just, you know, reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn, Camille Corchism, C-O-R-R-C-H-I-S as in Sam, Emerson and Mary. Or, you know, once you get on that, on LinkedIn, you can find my contact information or you can go to the website and reach out to me. And the website is www.truefleet, T-R-U-E, F-L-E-E-T dot co dot C-O. Don't even ask me why it's not com, but that's <laughs> you know, the, yeah, the, the website people. So it's the truth.co and you can go there and you should be able to, you know, you can send me a note and, you know, say you're interested in a demo. 
um, because we are doing an unveiling with Tech Town next week, and I'm really excited about it. Oh, I can't wait to hear how it goes. And guys, all of Camille's information that she just listed is down in the show notes for you all too. So just click the links that are down below and you will be properly navigated to her LinkedIn page as well as direct contact with her on truefleet.co, not .com, okay? So um, thank you so much for sharing. So as we're starting to wrap up, I wanna kind of transition to go back to a point that you mentioned. So you're now the DEI program manager at Michigan State University, your alma mater. And it's full circle how you were a student and now you're the instructor and program manager. And I really love how you talked about the 3-2 program, um, HBCU, how chemistry majors at NCCU, correct? Yes. Can, they get an undergrad in chemistry first three years and then they come to Michigan State University and earn their master's in packaging after two years and so share with us a little bit about why you saw the need to really expand the packaging industry to help it become more diverse so this is one of the things I love about you know having my own business and being an entrepreneur is that I can do the things that I love to do so mm -hmm. I saw this position available at Michigan State. And I know a couple other people that consult and they also instruct. And I just, one of my friends who said, I want to be like you when I grow up, you know? I so know, when I saw this, <laughs> I thought, you know, this is very interesting. So I, you know, I reached out and, you know, things just started falling into place. You know, it took a little while, um, but things fell into place. And then, you know, they reach out to me, Matt Dom at Michigan State, head of the program. He's awesome. So I just have to throw that in there. But he um, said, hey, you know, we we also have another, besides the instruction, we also have another role that we're, we're thinking about. You know, what do you think of this? And it's, you know, DEI, you know, think about pro packaging industry is like the third largest industry in the world, right? You really need to make sure that you're ha you have um, representation from, you know, worldwide from, you know, mm -hmm. to represent that industry so we can have enough people to support the industry long-term. So I thought it was really interesting. You know, I'm based in the metropolitan area that actually has some of the top feeder schools for the entire, for all of Michigan State. But when you look at the school of packaging, it's not reflecting what the feeder, who you know, the feeder schools. So I went to um, one of the high schools here that's, you know, considered, okay, I have to say Cast Tech. My daughters say it's, I'm like, it's like a cult, but, you know, people like John DeLorean went to Cast, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, either technology, there's innovation, but there's also a very, it's, I would say it's almost like steam because we, there are all these like musicians and artists like the White Stripes, Jack White, Dinah Ross, you know, all these, you know, so it's very, very broad. You get all the way technical, you know, all the way to artistic, you know, you get it all mm -hmm. and you major, you actually pick a major in high school. So mm -hmm. like what better place to go than, you know, schools like that, that are some of the top feeder schools and say, since you're already, you know, you're really considering Michigan State, Michigan State is a popular university in the metro Detroit area. What about packaging? And of course, you know, people are like, pack a who, pack a what? And yeah. then you explain it to them and they see your enthusiasm and they see, okay, this woman has completely nerded out on us. So there must be yeah. something here. So it, you know, it's really fun. I'm just, because I'm just doing all the things that I love to do right now. It's great. I love that. And that's how I slid through your DMs because I wanted to have somebody that looked like me, I could identify with. 
you know, and everybody that I met in the packaging industry has been great. Don't get me wrong, but it's that relatability, you, you know, as black woman to black woman and with your level of expertise and you've seen a lot of things evolve in the packaging industry. I was like, I need to connect with her because she's able to counsel me like, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. Hey, look out for this. Eh, I don't know about that. But you I know? did, no. <laughs> <laughs> but to that point, you know, with more companies looking at how to really enhance their DNI programs inside of their companies, we need more representation, to be frank. Packaging is already not talked about, especially like here in the South. Only place that talks about packaging is Clemson, which is a great school. Mm-hmm. But if you're in Georgia, don't nobody know about packaging. Only thing people know about packaging is, is it an Amazon box? When's my Amazon order coming in because of the box? But we don't know. And then to have the lack of diversity in this industry is really needed. So with that, like what recommendations would you give to the younger generation or any anybody, doesn't matter what age, you know, who are looking to transition into this industry, um, especially those who identify as Black, Indigenous, people of color, what can they do to start making this transition and be in alignment with their companies or potential companies, DEI initiatives? So um, one of the things that I'm going to quote my dad would always say things like, get as much education as you can as early as you can. And mm-hmm. perseverance pays. So, you know, understand what it is that you want to do. Make sure you already always have a written plan. Um, make sure that whether you're you're at a company, you're doing, you're having your own company, whatever you're trying to do, that you have a plan, you have a mentor, and especially if you're in corporate, having a mentor is really important. But you also need to find a sponsor. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't know about sponsors, and a lot of times yeah. sponsors are kind of like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. You don't even know that they're there, but you know you want to make sure that you're visible enough to really have a sponsor. And I think one of the things that I've seen as a Black female, and this might be a little controversial, but what I've seen as a Black female, not just in packaging, but in technical fields and corporations, is that, you know, as Black females, we're raised to think you're going to work twice as hard and get half as much. So we're programmed early on to accept less. So Mm -hmm. then when we get the comments, you know, people make comments it's like, well, just ignore it. Just let it roll off your back. Be thick, thick skin. You're mm-hmm. too sensitive. But I think a lot of that is going by the wayside now. You know, mm-hmm. um, I will say I was called the coffee girl more than once in life and not because of the color of my skin, because they thought I should be getting the coffee, even if I reported to a VP. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are the sorts of things that, you know, you kind of learn and, you know, how to navigate. Early on in my career, I would say that you know, I said what I thought. I'm not a highly emotional person. Like I, sh- most of the time I'm like this, but even just saying some of the things that I said, you know, people would feel free to make comments to me. But if I said something back, it didn't have to be sarcastic. It just had to be like an honest answer. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, well, why'd you say that? You have a chip on your shoulder, mm-hmm. you know? So those sorts of things of going from being told you have a chip on your shoulder from your response to being told, oh, you have a victim mentality. And then my thought is, oh, well, now I'm expressing what happened and how I felt about it in a way that didn't come across as being, you know, still turned into a negative, I guess. But, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't turned like your reaction was, you know, I have a chip on your shoulder. You have an attitude or something like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. just being careful about that and understanding those things and then The other thing I see is doing twice as much and expecting half or expecting less. 
that I've seen through my career, people figured out, oh, Camille's going to do it. I don't have to do it. If no one else will do it, you know, just, I think that's partly just being female. Like if you're a female (laughs) in the house, you can just watch things like, I'll just make up an example. You can watch the dishes pile up in the sink and everyone's just like, it's going to bug her eventually and she's going to do it. So I don't have to do it. We'll just leave it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, some of that trickles into work. I don't do it. Everyone kind of unconsciously expect her to do it. So she'll get the blame, even if we're all at the same job, you know, we're going to all look at her and say, why why didn't she do it? So those are some of the subtle things that I've seen that, you know, over the years that I, I used to just think, oh, just work really hard. Everything will be fine. And it actually took a couple of white people to kind of point that out to me. Like, no, that's not what's going on. They're like, no, Camille, really, really like open your eyes. And, you know, because you're told don't, don't look at race and don't look at these things. Mm -hmm. Even if Mm -hmm. someone's calling you the N word or whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not what it is. They just had a bad day, you know, but that's fine if they have a bad day, but that doesn't mean that it's acceptable because I have had many bad days and I will go and smile and, you know, people don't know what's going on. People are like, I had no idea. Well, we, I could drop this mic right now because it's so true. And it seems like it doesn't matter where you are in your professional career, even experience in college for myself, same things, mm-hmm. same things. And I get it more so now as an adult, as a business owner, as a continuously evolving professional, I get told, what do you know, little black girl? That's the first thing I get told a lot of times. And it's like quite a bit, you know, don't, don't let this, don't let this cute face fool you. Like <laughs> I'm pretty intelligent, you know, but us speaking up and you know, really showcasing like our expertise and the quote that your dad said, perseverance pays. Mm-hmm. We have to, because unfortunately we are not looked as the top elite or comparable to our counterparts. We're lo- looked at as lesser than. And if and- someone tells you that you're different, it I, I don't necessarily see that as a compliment. They mean no. it as a compliment, but they don't, you know, and I'm going, I'm the same as my whole family. Um, so yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's to kind of strike that balance. You know, I had a, mm-hmm. a recent experience where someone asked me to work on a package but they didn't have a part and they said just look at the drawings I'm like well that's great but you know you have a couple of areas that are standing out and there's no dimension on them and they're like well it's the same as so-and-so but how do I know that they're same because you can't tell you that you need those dimensions to tell yeah someone said so what you don't know how to read a drawing so you know my and this is where like having that balance and making sure that you know people aren't taking things the wrong way. My first natural response was, oh no, my father, when I was 12, he was the engineer and he taught me how to read drawings and to use the slide rule, which was true. But I knew, okay, if I say that, you know, someone else could say it and say, oh, it was a great bonding experience with your dad. But for me to say it, it might come across as being arrogant because I know I look really mm-hmm. young. Even as in my forties, people were saying, how's your internship going? And I'm working for a VP and, you know, have a department and they're still like, how's your internship? And when I'd say my daughter's interning and they're like, what were you 12 when you had your kids? So, you know, it's still, what? yeah, I've had that, that 12 is like the number. That's mind boggling. Yeah. 12 over and over again, like all through, you know, were you 12, no matter how old my kids are, no matter how old, younger, it was always 12. So, you know, just understanding that 
people might have an implicit bias. It's not that they're, they mean to be that way, but depending on how you know, I respond, they could be very defensive. And I'm like, that's the last thing I want is for them to be defensive, you know, because mm-hmm. that's not the intention. Cause I know they didn't mean it in a negative way. Like in their minds, it's like, oh, well, she's asking these questions. She must not know how to read a drawing, but you know, how do you get, okay. They already think this. So how do you explain this in a way that they see, mm-hmm. you know, she really does know how to read a drawing and it doesn't become, you know, a, a negative or, you know, they, there's no tension. They don't feel like you're fighting them. You're just, you know, they get to know you and eventually they're like, oh, I remember the time I thought you couldn't read a drug. Boy, was I wrong? You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So, you know, just getting to the point where there's not, you know, animosity, you know, and it's not necessarily catering to people. It's just kind of understanding how people think and not triggering the trajectory towards a negative interaction long-term where you can actually build a work, strong, build a stronger working relationship. Yeah. And I get that. And you know, to your point, I think in some cases, people aren't trying to be defensive. They're trying to seek to understand. Mm-hmm. Some people can come off the cuff and say some things. You'd be like, now hold up, you know, yeah. but I think having the discernment and knowing, okay, let me actually take a step back too, before I respond. Cause I know younger me, oh, she would just fire away and just say whatever's on my mind. But now being older, I have to use discernment, you know, to understand. And so a lot of times I've just realized in my own self getting older and gaining more wisdom. I asked them, well, tell me, what do you mean? Can you elaborate to try to, before I respond, because I already go to another dimension of what they're thinking, you know, what they said, but trying to seek to understand before I respond to not be too quick to respond to, I think it showcases one of the 48 laws of power, you know, Mm -hmm. and also too to understand how I preserve my own peace as a black woman and, you know, to then see, okay, was this really negative or were they seeking to understand and trying to come off jokingly about it? Yes. A lot of things. We could talk about this for, you know, all day, you know, because it's very prevalent in all industries right now, specifically like with Black women. Being able to just speak up, speak your truth, be honest about it. You can still be direct and mm-hmm. honest, but, you know, seeking to understand too before we just fire away um, in some cases. So. Yeah. Because, yeah, your response would, you know, many times the response is to say or do something. But, you know, if you work really hard and you, you know, work really hard to get where you are and then someone questions it, of course, your first natural response is going to be, what? Wait a minute. You know, yeah, yeah, that's a natural response. And then people feed off that and they're like, well, why is she mad? She's angry or I said, I say something wrong. And then next, you know, the focus is on how things were said and what they said instead of. Mm -hmm. I thought we were talking about how to resolve this, you know, understand what this part is supposed to do with this in this packaging. So, yeah, yeah, very, you know, I used to wonder why we had to take psychology and packaging, but it's part of the way we work with everybody and interact with people and society and all of it. So it's all important for psychology, for sure. And so last thing I'll ask you just in reference of diversity. So you actually used to um, was the one of the founding members of Black Packaging Professionals. So share a little bit about, you know, what that organization is and how people can learn more about it. Yeah. So started the Black, during the pandemic, I started the Black Packaging Network. I reached out to a couple of people that I knew and said, you know, hey, we probably should start some kind of organization to support other Black people in packaging. Because the experience most, this was one of the common responses people have when they heard about it. I always felt like I was the only person like me in every job mm-hmm. I had. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so, and they didn't, you know, they didn't know how to handle things. If someone said something or if someone made a comment or how did they handle it? If, you know, I'm doing all this work, but I never get promoted, you know, those sorts of things. And we're right now, I'd say we're probably on summer hiatus, but when we first started, we talked about so many different things that we wanted to do. And it's just kind of weird how sometimes just putting those, th- those things out there that mm-hmm. they happen. One of the things we talked about, um, which we probably need to, my job probably, I need to engage more with the BPN and Michigan State. We talked about, you know, what if we have a packaging program in an HBCU? So, you know, mm-hmm. now we've got Michigan State has this program with the North Carolina Central University and you know, doing a lot of the things that we talked about. So, you know, just seeing those things come to fruition and being able to be part of and supported as it's being created, that's exciting. And then just being able to connect a lot of people because people will say, hey, I'm looking for, you know, to hire somebody or, you know, do you know anybody that does does this kind of packaging? Um, Mm -hmm. I really would like to talk to them in my field because, again, I feel like I'm the only person Mm -hmm. or... You know, I'm at this job and I can do nothing right. You know, I was a mm-hmm. high flyer, got everything done, met all my goals, but it seems like just walking in the door, it's like you you should have walked in with your right foot first instead of your left foot, you know? So just being able to help people with that or, you know, like people looking for jobs and just introducing them to each other, you know, to say, hey, I know, mm-hmm. does anyone know a job somewhere? Does, you know, someone's working on a project. Do you know anyone that has this expertise? Yeah. No, and it's not always, you know, a, a black person. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. you have people that aren't black that are reaching out or, you know, you can connect them to someone that, you know, absolutely not black. you know, it's been really, really good. Well, good. And yeah, like we all need each other, regardless of skin tone, ethnicity, background, values, morals. We all need each other in this space, you know, and being able to help really cultivate just with like black packaging professionals to show there is some other representation. So if I need somebody to talk through for a situation to learn from, to be a mentor or a sponsor, because they are different, Mm -hmm. you know, you have that. And that's representative in this packaging space that all of us in the packaging space need for each other. So yeah, we all need each other and we're all nerds together, you know, regardless of what sector of the business we're in. We love packaging. All at the end of the day. So I love that. And thank you for sharing. And so as we wrap up today's interview, we're going to get into our power round. And so for the power round, I'm going to put just 60 seconds on the clock. And I'm going to ask you about some of your favorites, which you share with me, you love to collect audiograph books. So with that, I'm going to put some time on the clock and I'm just going to ask you to share a little bit about some of your favorites as we wrap up. So you ready? Ready. Ready, let's start the clock. So what was your first audiograph book that you collected? This book with Ozzie Davis and Ruby D. Oh, so, yeah. Was, yeah, because, you know, they've been around forever. Classic actors, classic actor and actress got their autograph. And I think that was kind of what got me going. Next, um, this is an interesting book. I have a couple packaging books, but this one was handy. Um, this one is called think outside the box oh and it was um came from jim tompkins who has a logistics company so i thought that was really interesting this cool nice little book that i have and then i'm going to get so i showed you the beginning i'm also going to show you the most recent book that i got and it ties in related to dei it's called the big house 
And I went to high school with his college roommate. So oh, wow. met him. his name is Ovel Barbie. And I just got this book last week. And he talks about um, DEI. It's called A Human-Centered and Progressive Approach to DEI and Positive Workforce Engagement. So the book I, last book I just received, and talk, we talked about DEI today. So I'm looking yeah. forward to reading this book. I'm planning on going through it this weekend. Oh, I love that. And human centered design is now being involved in every sectors of the business. So I love that. And I'm also going to ask you another one. So if your audiograph book collection had a theme song, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, probably, um, you know, I don't know. That's really good. Okay. That's a good one. I have to think about that one. Okay. Think yeah. on it. And to preserve your audiograph book collection, what packaging would you use? Well, I keep my book collection in actually a bookcase that I got from a cousin. And this okay. case is um, it was built in the 1960s. It's literally like authentic mm. century modern. And it was actually, it was a cabinet. And like, this is perfect for my books because it's got a glass door. You could see the books and it's perfect. Mm. It's my living room furniture perfectly, the theme and everything. So. I love it. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't. That's where I package it. I guess I package it in a mid-century modern cabinet. Okay. And it's very vintage. So I like that. And last question, why do you love packaging? Because packaging is everywhere. Everything mm -hmm. you do has nothing that you ever do or think about. You can't get around packaging mm -hmm. no matter what. You can't get around it. No matter what no mm -hmm. matter what. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with our featured industry powerhouse guest, Camille Corchism, my mentor who I slid through her DMs to, um, to now be here. So Camille, it's such an honor to actually have you on the other side of the table joining me for today's conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Yes. It's fun. It's just like having a conversation, a Zoom call with you. Yeah chatting so this is great i appreciate it yes and this is exactly how our first conversation went it was just strictly organic just like today's episode so guys to get in contact with camille to learn more about true fleet and also her company indigo packaging all of those links will be down in the show notes for you all so make sure you do check it out and the last quote i'll leave you with is perseverance pays so until next time guys make sure y'all stay safe and continue to love the packaging and the products that's around you i'll talk to y'all soon